It is great to be with you today. <clears throat> I tell you what, guys, we're 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 kind of we're you know we're uh, we're almost halfway through January here. I don't want to I don't want to jinx us or anything like that. But but uh, here in the UP, we know everything hinges kind of on this month. So it's good to be here today. <clears throat> good to be with you. We are continuing our series called In the Wilderness. Last week we talked about this guy named Moses. I shared with you that everyone has a history. Moses had a, a very sordid history uh, in his life uh, that God knows where you are right now and that God can make where you are, the ground where you stand, he can turn that wilderness ground into holy ground. It doesn't matter what's happened in your life. God has the ability to do that. So we're going to continue on with our series, and really it's, a, it's sort of a continuation of Moses' life. You see, from that burning bush experience in the wilderness on the backside of the desert, Moses goes back to his, his home uh, in Egypt, and from there he meets with Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. And of course we know that Pharaoh says no, God brings the ten plagues uh, upon Egypt and literally breaks Pharaoh's will and the, uh, the Israelite people walk out of Egypt 430 years after they arrived, the last number of them being in servitude and in slavery. And then we have the wilderness experience after they leave Egypt, which is a 40-year period of time between the time they leave Egypt and before they're brought and they arrive in the promised land, the land that scripture says is flowing with milk and honey. And so out of that 40-year period of time, which is probably the most well-known wilderness experience in scripture, I want to look at five things that I believe on January 12, 2020, that we can learn today and that can make a difference in our lives. So let me start with the first one, and that is this. God will make a way. God will make a way. <clears throat> now, let me, let me talk to the married couples here for just a moment, okay? Um, how many of you have discussions in the car about which way to get from where you are to where you're going in Marquette? Does it, it, you have those discussions? Yeah, I, I, won't, I won't call you out, um, <clears throat> but my workout buddy's raising his hand. And, and so, uh, and so we, we, we're, we're at the stoplight, and, and, and our, our lovely, gracious gift from the Lord, the wife that he's given us, says, well, how come you don't go this way? And I say, well, because I'm going this way. And she said, but this way's better. Am I the only one that's ever had that discussion? You threw me under the bus, Matt. You I'm, that is cruel and unusual to your pastor. We, we have all had those, right? Okay? Now, when, when you know us, and, and then, okay, men, if you're if you just going to keep going your way, okay, and I don't know what the chances are, but, but what if you actually ran into, like, some sort of a, you know, you had to actually sit through one light in Marquette, okay? Um, and you're not at a roundabout or you're at construction and you got delayed and then you don't even look over there. 
you don't even look, okay? Because if you do, you know she's going to give you that I told you so look. Do you know what I'm saying? Now, my wife doesn't do that, of course, because she is perfect in every way. And I just want you to know that. Um, but what if, <laughs> what, what happens, okay, because we can, honor, let's be honest, okay, you can, you, can, uh, you, can, you can go more than one way, right? You have a favorite way, but you can go more than one way. What, what happens if there really was no way? What if there was no choice? What if there was no left, there was no right, there was no forward, there was nothing? What if you couldn't go anyway? This happened a few years ago in Birmingham, Alabama. Now, I've, I've been to Alabama, and they don't, they don't get much snow. In fact, that's where people go when we get snow so that they can get away from the snow. But there was a freak storm in 2014 in Birmingham, Alabama. And, and those people they, down south, they don't understand anything about snow and driving in snow. They, they, don't, have, they don't have the vehicles to, to, to you know, take care of the roads and things like that down there. But they got, they got quite a, a bit of snow. And, and not only... Um, did it did it make travel hazardous, but people got stuck in the freeway literally shut down okay now in a storm like that, you can imagine that stores you know they 're closing and all sorts of those things are happening. There were people that were stuck in their cars, according to the reports that I read for seven hours. okay Imagine being stuck on the scene stretch in your car for seven hours in a storm. Okay, imagine that. Imagine praying, God, there seems to be no way. I cannot go forward. I cannot go backward. I can't get off the interstate here. I can't do anything. And everything is just stuck where it is. Imagine, God, I've got kids in the backseat of my car that are starving. They are, they're saying they're starving. They, they are so hungry. They are crying. God, I don't know what I can do. I can't get out. I can't walk anywhere. I can't drive anywhere. I'm stuck. What do I do? God, you need to make a way where there seems to be no way. And there's a knock on your snow-covered windshield. And you roll down your window, and there's a Chick-fil-A employee. <laughs> It's real. It happened in 2014. There's a Chick-fil-A employee giving out Chick-fil-A sandwiches to everyone in the car. And the driver goes into their wallet to pay for it. And the employee said, nope, it's free. A minute ago, there seemed to be no way. And God made a way. Are you with me? Are you with me? That's what I'm talking about. God will make a way. The Bible says literally that God opens doors that no man can close. You know, the old saying, when God closes a door, he opens a window. No, when God closes a door, he means for it to be closed. Okay? But when God opens it, literally, there is no closing it because God has opened that door. 
In Exodus chapter 13, I want you to look with me in verses 17 and 18 about this wilderness experience. It says, when Pharaoh let the people go, this is the people of Israel that have lived in Egypt for 430 years. They've been enslaved. When God let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter Okay, are, are you with me? We're, we're, we want to go this way, and she says go that way. Well, why should I go that way? It's shorter. Isn't that inevitably the conversation? It's quicker. It's quicker to go. How do you know that it's quicker? I've timed it. I know it's quicker to go that way. This is literally what is happening. God did not lead them this way, which would have been shorter, for God said... <clears throat> If they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. Now, the quickest route to the promised land was along the Mediterranean Sea through the lands of Palestine. And and that is a matter of geological, geographical fact, okay? It is a fact. When we're sitting at that stoplight and our wife says it's shorter to go this way... It is not necessarily a matter of geographical fact. Although some of us are so stubborn that we actually would want to time it out later and and, and have our facts down so the next time she says that we say something stupid like, well, I mapped it out and it's not really actually shorter. But when you look at the maps, it is a geographical fact that it was shorter to get to the promised land along the Mediterranean Sea. But that's not the, the way that God took them because he knew what was going to happen if they did. If they ran into any sort of military opposition, they were going to turn tail and go directly back to Egypt where they came from. And they were going to remain in slavery as a result. So God leads them another direction and he leads them to a place along the Red Sea. And they find themselves with the Red Sea in front of them. And now Pharaoh's army is now behind them. The circumstances seemed to be hopeless. They were asking themselves, why didn't God take us another way? Moses, are you sure you heard the directions correctly? Have you ever felt so lost and so confused that you wondered maybe even if God himself could not help you. Friends, there's one thing that we learn from Scripture time and time again, and that is this. God is like Grubhub. He always delivers. God always delivers. You might think that you're stuck. You might think that there's no way out of this season of your life. You might think that this wilderness is so vast and so long that there's no way that you could ever find your way out. It doesn't matter if you're in a lion's den. It doesn't matter if you're in the belly of a whale. It doesn't matter if you're in the fiery furnace. It doesn't matter if you're in a fight with a giant or a battle where you're outnumbered. God can make a way where there seems to be no way. Can anybody here be a witness and say amen to that? It may not make sense to you at this moment. It may not make sense 
Because you say, God, if, if we'd just gone up along the Mediterranean Sea, Lord, we, we wouldn't be in this mess. We wouldn't see the Red Sea in front of us, and we wouldn't see Pharaoh's army behind us. God, if we had just done a, a, gone a different way, it, would, it doesn't make sense why we are where we are, but we are where we are at that moment. The Apostle Paul suffered incredibly during his life and in his ministry. He experienced thirst and hunger. He was naked and cold. He was flogged five times, beaten with rods three times, stoned, shipwrecked three times. And yet he was able to write in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. We do not always understand God's plan and his purposes. We think that he should do one thing and yet something else happens. Remember what I said last week when I quoted Pastor Pete Fisher from my silent prayer retreats when he said this, the wilderness is not an experience to test how strong and resilient you are. It's to find out how faithful God is. Friends, I don't care what wilderness you find yourself in. And it's, that is just a word for the circumstance that you're in right now, the situation that you find yourself in. I don't care what it's like or how big it is. God knows the way out. God will make a way. Number two, God will lead you. I want you to think about this. The exodus of the people of Israel we're talking about two and a half to three million people on foot. That is, that is unbelievable. And those people came pouring out of Egypt. And they, God did not allow them to scatter. Now, I, I don't know about you, but um, I, I, I really... Um, you know, I, I enjoy watching a movie at Easter time. I don't get to do it every Easter, but uh, Charlton Heston, uh, The Ten Commandments. Have you watched that movie before? I just, I want to encourage you if you haven't. Yeah, I, it's old. But it is a great movie. But from that movie, we tend to think that, that um, the Egyptians leave the capital city of Egypt, okay? Now, right now, that's Cairo. We have a friend that lives in Cairo. Okay, Marianne, we had this wonderful lady. So that's my connection to the, to the city of Cairo and to, to the country of Egypt. And we envision, okay, uh, and the capital city back then was not Cairo, but we envision that literally the, that two and a half, three million people leave, they leave the capital city of Egypt, okay? They, they literally, they go, they go two blocks and hang a left, okay? And they're at, they're at the Red Sea, when you watch that movie, that's what it feels like. Well, they didn't even leave the capital city. They lived in the land of Goshen because the Egyptians thought that shepherds were unclean. Okay? So they didn't live amongst the Egyptians. And they didn't just pop out of the capital city and boom, they were there. In fact, the scripture says that they traveled a much greater distance. There were, there was, there were uh, days and nights involved in their travel before they reached the Red Sea. There were other areas that they, they wound up going through. But you say, how do they know which way to go? Who was actually leading them? Was, was Moses, this guy, was he really leading them? Was he really making the decisions? 
Let's go to chapter 13 of the book of Exodus, beginning at verse 21. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. I want you to think about this. Not just on the way out of Egypt, but for the next 40 years while they were in the wilderness, those two pillars, the pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night, stayed with them. When the cloud moved, they moved. When the cloud stayed, they stayed. That was their guide. That is exactly what happened. If they, if, if, if you literally, if, if you would have drawn on a map, okay, how to get to the promised land, it would not have gone the route that the cloud took them. The, cloud, the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire, that was God. That was literally God's presence leading them. But, but they could have been there in a matter of, of days, if, if not just maybe a, a couple of weeks. They would have arrived in the promised land and saved themselves 40 years, but that was not God's plan for their life. Proverbs says in chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Sometimes God, we want God to lead us, but we want him to lead us according to our plans and our desires. Isn't that really the truth? When you really get right down, Lord, I want to follow you, but I want you to take me this way. And if we're going to follow him, if we're really going to, if we're really going to follow him, we got to go where he's calling, where he's leading, where he's going. I want us to think about that today. When we submit to him in the midst of our wilderness, he will direct our path. You say, Kevin, how, how can I be led by God in 2020? What are some specific ways? I'm going to give you two really easy ones right here. From Psalm 119, 105, it says, Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. You want to be led by God, you've got to be a person of his word. Don't tell me, don't, don't tell me I'm following God and you're not in his word because it just, it can't happen, okay? It can't happen. Don't, don't say, I want to follow God, but I'm not willing to read his word because we've got to be people of the word. And then in John chapter 16 and verse 13, Jesus said, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit will guide us into truth. But let me tell you something, it will always be able to be confirmed in his word because the Holy Spirit's not going to lead you someplace that's not in God's word. And if you think you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit telling you to go somewhere, do something, and it's the, the, against his word, you, you got to trust the word, okay? You've got to trust the word. But God desires to lead us, and no matter how difficult your wilderness may be, God will lead you according to his plan. He will lead you. Number three, this is exciting. God will fight for you. I've been struggling with this uh, in preparation for this message, but <clears throat> um, 
<laughs> this may be hard for you to, uh, to believe, but um, I was in a fight in high school. <laughs> you guys are so cruel. <laughs> I was in a fight in high school, okay? Now, in high school, I, I was, okay, I, five, four and a half. I'm still five, four and a half. <clears throat> I was about a buck 30, maybe 35. Um, but this was my sophomore year, so I, I wasn't even that heavy at that point. Um, and, um, and it was, I'll admit it was a one-sided fight. Um, but uh, it happened in the lunchroom. And, um, and somebody grabbed my retainer. And, and I, I grabbed it back, and I, I you know, I, I stood up, you know, and, and I got clocked. And, uh, and I just, I had, to, I had to stay standing, you know, and that was my fighting experience. I don't know about you, but I don't like fighting, okay? I, maybe you grew up and you were a fighter. Maybe you were a scrapper, okay? I wasn't. I'm, I'm still, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a confrontational, you know, uh, rock'em, sock'em, you know, kind of person. I just, I'm a lover, not a fighter. And I thank the Lord for that, but that's just me. But when Israel leaves Egypt, their first real stop is the Red Sea. And Pharaoh has this change of heart, and he comes barreling after them. And the Bible says that he brings 600 chariots. Theologians and researchers, they believe that that, that, that number of chariots, if you really look at what that would have meant, what would have went with that, it would have been 50,000 horsemen and 200,000 footmen, all of them experienced and armed and ready for battle. And that's according to Josephus about uh, the Jewish historian. He, he, he believed that, that that was what that number really represented. Imagine the fear that they would have had. I remember that day in the cafeteria in high school. I can still, I can still be in that position and remember hearing the voices when that guy took a swing at me. And I, and I felt his hand hit the side of my face, his fist. And as I stood up, I still can remember those voices. Imagine the fear that they felt. The Red Sea in front of them, Pharaoh behind them, bearing down on them. Moses, what are we going to do? Moses, were there not enough graves in Egypt that you had to bring us out here in the desert so we could die? That's what they asked him. Imagine that church business meeting. Really? You brought us here to die? That's the whole purpose of, of why we're here? Look at chapter 14, verses 13 and 14. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Now there's a good leader. And he might, I, 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 I wish I could have been there and experienced it. If I'm going to imagine Moses as, as Chuck Heston, you know, imagine that voice, you know, don't be afraid. I mean, that would be, that, that'd give you chills right there. Don't be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance of the Lord you will bring, uh, the Lord will bring today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will what? Fight for you. 
You need only to be still. Moses didn't say, get ready for a fight. And, it's, and, and the scripture says that as they left Egypt, they sort of had an attitude that they were ready to fight. But that is not what Moses tells them to do. He said, the Lord will fight for you and you only have to watch it happen because God is going to fight on behalf of his people. Look at verses 19 and 20 of the same chapter, chapter 14. Then the angel of the Lord who'd been traveling in front of Israel's army withdrew and went behind them. That was the cloud. Okay. It withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. The cloud and the angel of the Lord went from in front to now behind, and there was the only thing between Israel and Pharaoh's army was a cloud and the angel of the Lord. And I imagine that angel had a big old sword, and he drew a line in the sand, and he said, nobody's coming past here. Our God will fight for us. Two and a half to three million Israelites Pass through the water. I want you to think about that. Moses stretches out his hand and the, the sea literally, it walls up on each side. And we've all seen the, the pictures when we were kids in our children's Bibles or in our kids' Bibles. And we see, you know, there's a little bit of water on each side. The, the, where, where, where scientists and historians believe Israel crossed over the depth of the Red Sea at its maximum was 2,500 feet. Imagine the walls of water when they were all the way into the deepest part, 2,500 feet on each side, two and a half to three million of them walking through. When I was a kid growing up in the church, there was a song that we used to sing. I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and the rider thrown into the sea. And that song is a song from that scripture, and it reminds us that God will come to our aid, that literally God will fight for us. You might be in the wilderness, but God has promised that he will fight on your behalf to bring you out of it. Romans chapter 8 and verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things if God is for us who can be against us? Friends, I know that the enemy of your soul and mine, he is literally in the forges of hell. He is forging weapons against us. But the Bible says that there is no weapon that's fashioned against you and fashioned against me that shall prosper. Why? Because our God is fighting for us. The battle literally belongs to the Lord. It's exciting. You guys were overwhelming. <laughs> Literally, you were overwhelming at that moment. The battle belongs to the Lord. I'm so glad of that. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 57, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. God wins every battle he fights. Number four, God will provide for you. Moses, can you imagine coming through the, 
the Red Sea there, the 2,500 feet up on each side, and two and a half to three million people, they get through, and they're on the other side, and, 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 and now, the, now Israel's panicked because the Pharaoh and his armies are starting to come through uh, the same place that they came through. Moses raises his hands up again. The water just caves in on them and destroys them all. They all drown. Could you imagine the euphoria and the leadership high that Moses would have been on at that moment? I mean, that'd be a pretty good feeling, a pretty good feeling. And you're like, okay, guys, let's go. (laughs) You know, you're just like, we got no problems. Everything is awesome. Everything is cool. You've got two and a half to three million people. You're in the desert. You are going to have problems right? Come on. Let's think about this. Moses is on this high and now God says, all right, the the clouds are moving ahead. Let's go. And they start going. What's the first question besides when are we going to get there that you think somebody asked Moses? When's dinner? (laughs) I like that. When's dinner? Okay. And who's cooking? Uh, and, 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 And what else? I'm thirsty. What what do we got to drink? Come on, let's just be honest. I cannot take my family to Green Bay without having to stop in Menominee for somebody to get something to drink. Okay? They're sitting in a 70-degree car taking naps, and we can't make it that to Green Bay. Are you kidding me? They're gonna be asked that like I mean, they're in a desert, people. They're gonna be asked that extremely quickly. Where's the water coming from? What, where, where, now listen, if, if, you know, moms are amazing, okay? And I don't know if, if moms um, in, in Israel, if they had purses or not, okay? (laughs) But moms, you guys are amazing. There are some women that I, I, it feels like they could come up with a five course meal out of their purse on a Tuesday, Okay? That they just got, they just, you know, you're just, you're just mixing stuff up in there and it just comes out, it's hot and steamy, you know. I'm, I'm sure like every mom, they're like, you know, and they start, you start with the good stuff, right? You know, you got granola bars, you know. I bet you right now I could find a half dozen granola bars in this room right now, okay? You, you got a granola bar and you're, you're breaking it off and giving a piece to the kids and you're dividing it up and, you know, then, it, then it's a little, you know, it's starting to get a little thinner. You know, we're, we're doing the gum. You know what I'm saying? And then you find, you find that two-year-old thing of fruit roll-up, okay? And you're doing like three inches at a time for the kids, okay? And you know it's bad when, when dad starts passing out the mints, okay? That's how you know you're really on the bottom of the barrel. You start looking under the seats in the car and stuff like that. But just imagine that that's, that's what they were, they were going through. They're, they're, they've, they've literally, they've exhausted everything. And they, they asked Moses, why didn't God just kill us in Egypt? What a great question. I don't know. Maybe he should have. Why didn't God just kill us in Egypt? (laughs) Exodus 16, verse 4, Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough. Get this for that day. 
And then in chapter 16, verses 11 and 12, it says, the Lord said to Moses, I've heard them, I've heard the grumbling, okay? And, and let me back up before I read that. Because they, 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 every day they get bread. They go outside, they literally, they gather bread every day for themselves and their family, okay? This, this bread, the scripture says, tasted like honey, like it was roasted with olive oil, okay? It tastes like honey, you pick it up off the desert floor, tastes like it was, it was, it was literally fried in, in olive oil. I'm thinking, this is pretty good stuff. And, and, and within a very short period of time, do you, know what, do you know what Israel was saying to Moses? What? Moses, no meat? What? No meat? Can you imagine that? You are God, and you just made the dew turn into bread, and they're wondering about meat. Look at verse, look at down there, verses 11 and 12. Uh, I have heard your grumbling of the, is, the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat. And in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. God brought quail. Now, quail are like a really, it's like a tailor version of a grouse, okay? <laughs> tailor version. It's a very tiny version, okay? And, and, the scripture says that from the Red Sea, that th th these, these just clouds of these birds, okay, flew into their camp and landed. Okay, look it up in your Bible. It's there in a note. To a, they, they landed in the camp to a depth of three feet, okay? Now, Mike, I don't know how fast you can clean a grouse, okay? But three feet deep. It says that every person went out and they gathered 60 bushels apiece. Okay? I was thinking about this. What are you going to do with 60 bushels of quail? You are going to clean them and you are going to start a fire and you are going to smoke them. Okay? And so you've got smoked quail. That sounds like a really expensive restaurant. <laughs> Actually, you're going to smoke them and then what? you know what they did? They, they started eating them, but they didn't eat them for one day or two days or a week. They ate them for a month. God provided. They complained God provided so much so that literally they felt like it was coming out of their noses and it made them sick to eat it. God provided for them, even though they were complaining. It's amazing. And over the course of that 40-year period of time, when they needed water, God said to Moses, Moses, I want you to take your staff and I want you to hit that rock. And water came out of the rock. He said, Moses, just talk to that rock and that rock's going to give water. He gave them bread. He gave them meat. He gave them water. The Bible says that their clothes did not wear out for 40 years. Okay, now you heard uh, my esteemed associate talk about, you know, clothes that don't wear out. And he was really interested in hearing about this. Okay, now it's a little different. See, see, now when you go to your closet and you go to your drawers, okay, you, you don't have just one of everything. Okay, you don't have one t-shirt, okay, or one sweatshirt or one pair of jeans, you don't have one pair of socks, okay? Now, today, I, uh, admittedly, I have to do laundry because if I don't, I'm going to be in trouble, 
okay? But we, we, have, we have pairs and pairs and pairs and pairs. And those things, they, they last us, you know, sometimes quite a while. And some of us men, when things get comfortable, we don't want to get rid of them, okay? Pretty soon they got holes in them. They're just hanging there, and we keep them. Why? Because we like them. We just got them wore in, all right? The Bible says for 40 years, their clothes did not wear out, and they didn't have a whole bunch of sets of clothes. The Bible says that their sandals, their shoes, did not wear out. How many of you as parents, you are so tired because by the time you get home from the shoe store, that kid has already outgrown those shoes? God provided for their needs. Paul says in Philippians 4.19, and my God will meet all your needs according to, your, to the riches of his glory. Bible says that God knows what we need even before we ask it. And even though we're in the midst of the wilderness, that God meets our needs. So number five, and I close with this really quickly. It'll be worth it. Exodus 3.17 and I have promised to bring you out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. Friends, the, here's, here's the bottom line. The way out of the wilderness, the way to the promised land, it may not be easy, but it will be worth it. They wanted to know why they didn't stay in Egypt. God's answer to them was this, because the promised land is not in Egypt. And you might feel like some days, like I'd rather turn and go back to Egypt. But I want you to know that what God has for you is ahead of you, not behind you. You might be in the wilderness right now. The circumstances might not be what you want them to be, but God has a plan for your life. And as much as I hate to say it, it's not about our comfort. He has a plan for you. He has a purpose for your life. He is not slow, Peter said, as some consider slow. Our God is right on time. He's right on time. Don't give up. The Bible says that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can conceive the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Do not give up. I'm going to invite you to stand with me. Just been thinking about the end of our service. Yesterday, in my devotions, I was sitting at the kitchen table, just started the book of Ephesians. In chapter 1, I think it's verse 22, Paul says that God put all things under Jesus' feet. We've just come through 2019. I've talked to some of you, you're like, man, I want to leave that year a long way behind. Some of you had a great 2019, you want to move on to even greater things in God. If you're in a wilderness experience in your life, you're probably one of those people that you would like to leave that behind. You say, how do I do that? 
What do I need to do? And I want to encourage you because I think that 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 little verse in Ephesians 1, and I shared this at men's breakfast yesterday morning, really applies. You need to put the wilderness under Jesus' feet. You need to put 2019 under Jesus' feet. You need to put the circumstances that, that, that make up the wilderness, you need to put that under Jesus' feet. Why? Because Jesus has authority, and Jesus has won the victory. And that idea of putting something under someone's foot is a military term that, that, that when people would win a battle, they would have a ceremony and the, the king who was the victor would put his foot on the neck of the king who was defeated, symbolizing his victory. God has put all things under Jesus' feet. Jesus has won the victory. Jesus has won the victory. Jesus has won the victory. We need to get that through our spirit. We need to kind of wake up because we've been in the desert and we're we're, we're trudging through and we're wondering, when is this going to get over? When is it going to finish? Just like this sermon, Dad, when's it going to get over? When's it going to be done? It's all we can think about. There's victory now. Because God has put all things under Jesus' feet, and you need to take them and put them under there. It's a matter of submitting to the Lord. The worship team is going to play. And I want to close out our service today that if there is something from, from a wilderness experience that you're going through, if it's something out of 2019, and you say, God, I want to put it behind me. I want to put it under your feet. I want to invite you, whether you're in the hub or the cafe or here in the sanctuary or in the wiggle room, I want you to come and make a place here at this altar and make a declaration to the Lord that it is not going to come with me. I'm putting it under Jesus' feet. He has the authority. He has won the victory. And I know that God is going to lead me out of the wilderness. As the worship team leads, you come.